Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and, and how they're told. Um, I just did the podcast recording equivalent of like talking in your backswing, like you were like right about to get started. <laughs> I just like fired something in there to make you laugh. <laughs> you absolutely did. Um, I'm Sam. He's Andy. Andy is the jokester. Andy, did you? I mean, I, I'm assuming you did the required reading and reading Ready Player One, the novel. But did you read the other required reading, which was the novel I sent you about what happened at Sesame's place this last week? Dude, I've, so I've seen like a whole bunch of uh, what's it called headlines about this, like that they're getting sued. Yes. Uh, yeah. I have not dug into that, uh, so I will have to catch up. Okay, so I'll give you the. I'll give you the bird's eye view and how I the information reveals as they happen to me because I I feel like they say a lot about uh, the situation. There's this place called Sesame's Place, which is a Sesame themed Sesame Street themed theme park outside of Philadelphia. Did not know that. Sounds tight. Sounds lit. If you're a little kid, yeah, great for kids for sure. Um, I saw they were getting sued for twenty million dollars for racial discrimination. And we live in a very litigious society. And my first thought... Can, can, I, can I stop you? Um, yeah. I just want to put it out there. We feel like we live in a very litigious society. Um, thanks sure. to thanks to like a lot of... Don't get on the McDonald's train. No, I'm just saying that like we, <laughs> the McDonald's we have... McDonald's coffee train. I just, I, just, I just don't want our podcast to contribute to the idea that like it, like it should be known, a known fact that... Fewer, there are fewer lawsuits now than there has been any other time in the history of this country ever. It is almost impossible to sue someone compared to any other time. Like if a doctor cuts you open and damn near kills you, there's a a cap on how much money they can owe you. And it's like a hundred grand, even if they paralyze you for life. So this idea that it's like everyone's so sue happy and everyone's suing everyone. I just don't want us to be part of what, because I remember going through school and, and learning that from like teachers. And I don't think they were like part of some evil cabal. That's just like, the, it's been very deliberately sure. pushed onto the public that that is happening. But sure, there is certainly um, a ton of attention put on frivolous lawsuits. And, I, and it sounds like this is the direction that that is, that is going in. Am I, am I correct in that assumption? Sort of. There, there are, I think we can agree that there are lawsuits where people are trifling. There's not, sure, there, there are some lawsuits that are absurd. We've, we've talked about the McDonald's coffee thing like three times. We've debunked that three times on this podcast, so I don't think we have to go back into that. Um, but let's talk about this case for a second because it's, it's crazy. So I read, okay, somebody's suing this theme park for being um, racial discrimination. You know, the, they said something about the, the employees that were working there weren't treating their children the way they were treating other white children. Is this like a situation where like costumed characters are uh, effectively ignoring the you know not giving attention to black children and and giving attention to white children? Is that the because that has been a big issue around Disney World Disney World for a long time, and they had to settle a lawsuit based around that. Um, That's the crux of it. And and when I okay. first read that that was the crux of it, I was like, okay, what does that really mean? I watched the video, and oh, there's a video. Shows this, yeah, there's this crowd of kids. And there's probably like six or seven kids in this crowd as these um, in this little subsection of the crowd, I guess I should say, where there's a the the costume characters walking around high fiving certain kids. There's this little black girl, adorable kid is has her hand out and one costume character after another is just not giving this poor kid a high five. To the point where they're like turning around at the camera and being like, what is going on? But not obviously with with no sort of malice, just being like confused and sad. Sure. And 
you're kind of you're you're I thought to myself, okay, but this kid is like two to three rows back of children. Like maybe sure. this costume character was going fast, didn't see anything. The video addresses that. The video is like, hey, you're probably thinking they're three rows yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And it shows other clips of this poor child walking up to other costume characters by themselves and the costume characters doing that thing you did in the mid two thousands when you were trying to be cool when you like pretend to give a high five and then pull your hand back at the last second. Damn, dude. <laughs> I'll t- I, this I'll, kid, this kid's like eight years old. That's so horrible. And I also am, and I, this is such a terrible thing because it's like, on one hand, like I like I remember when this, like I said, I, there, a similar case like this happened to the Disney Corporation, and they were able to use like statistics to show that characters and performers were like twice or three times more likely to like engage with, give an autograph to, etc., a white child than a child of color. Um, and that led to systemic change at Disney World where they were like, hey, you have to, like, every kid gets a hug or whatever the rule is now among right. Disney performers. I always have this terrible thing where it's like even when a person is right, when they sue for an absurd amount of money, it instantly – even if they're 100 percent right. Like if this guy had just been like, hey, I'm not suing them. I just want to bring attention to this. I would have so much more sympathy than the fact that it's like I want $20 million for it. Yeah, as soon as yeah, someone yeah. asks for $20 bucks, you're like, well – Okay, is your is your kid gonna get the twenty million bucks? Are they gonna feel better if they if you get twenty million bucks? I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm sure they would, but like, weird, right? Like that brings a yeah. weird dynamic to it. Money, m- I don't money know, ruins I, things. Yeah, I don't know the dynamics of the whole situation. Obviously, I'm, I'm I literally read an article for like five minutes to watch the video, but yeah, it feels like is this a is this a bad situation? Yes, is it a situation where the only remedy is gem- generational wealth? Yeah, that's that's, that's real. Strange. That's real tough. Yeah, yeah. I always go back to when we were when I was at Tech. My business law professor told us that story about the dude that bought a brand new BMW and proved in court that it had been repainted, and thereby it was legally did not meet the definition of brand new. And so he got to sue BMW for the price of a new BMW, and then in punitive damages for his you know pain and suffering, he got. The price of repainting a BMW times the number of BMWs sold in the United States in a year. So he got forty million dollars in nineteen eighty five because he bought a oh my B- God. he went into a BMW dealership, bought it in cash. So he's already rich, right? Like you're already yeah. at least well enough off to go buy a BMW. And he's probably this is a, a bad brand- driver. Yeah, oh, an absolute ad. an eighties an eighties beamer driver, dude. That's like peak beamer driver. So he and so he was like, You're this is brand new? And they're like, Yeah. And he's like, Brand new. Okay, great. And then he went to get it painted, and it turns out that, like, when they ship cars over here on a boat, they rub, like, the sides of the boat and shit. So when they get here, they touch them up with paint. And so that technically, like, invalidates brand new. And so he got $40 million for that. And so it's like, I don't know, man. Maybe people just get money like that. I don't know. I mean, honestly, if I'm giving $40 million to that guy or $20 million to this 8-year-old for getting snubbed by Elmo— I'd probably pick the little girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. If we got to pay out, like, fuck. If I have to give it to a little girl that, yeah, like you said, got completely stiff armed, or a, a BMW driver in the eighties. By the way, this is before Tesla drivers, so they had a monopoly, a on total the road, monopoly, though. dude. Yeah, Tesla drivers were just a twinkle in the eye of Elon Musk's apartheid loving father when this man <laughs> was given this check for forty million dollars. While we're on the topic of uh, crimes against humanity like apartheid and uh, amusement park racism, do you want to talk about Ready Player One? Dude, I have been quietly hoping we would touch this because 
and and I'll be honest with you from the jump, this is it's going to be so hard for me to delineate between the shitty book and the shitty movie and the shitty sequel to the shitty book. But I hate so much about what this is. Like this book is in my opinion Twilight for Gamer Boys, okay? Written by someone who desperately wants you to believe that they're like a nerd or a geek and a gamer and is none of those things. Like the tone of this book is such that it's like, do you remember when you were a kid and you'd all be talking about like a cartoon or a show or like Dragon Ball Z or something? And there'd be one kid that like wasn't allowed to watch it, but obviously he, he was embarrassed to say that. So he would just pretend he had seen it. That is everything in this fucking book. Like, the way they talk about pop culture in this property is fucking insane. Like, just to give our listeners a baseline, imagine a human being turning to you, a real human that's not a lizard or a robot, turning to you and being like, I studied Monty Python, and not just Holy Grail either. Every single one of the films, albums, and books in every episode of the original BBC series. What about The Simpsons, you ask? I know more about Springfield than I know about my own city. Star Trek? <laughs> I've seen TOS, TNG, DS9, and even Voyager and Enterprise. I watched them all. In chronological order. The movies, too. Phasers locked on. You'd be yeah, like, that is, you have never seen any of those things. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you read the Wikipedia article for each of those items. And that is how everyone in this movie book franchise comes off. It's just the fakest pandering to anything related to pop culture from a certain era I've ever seen. It's so annoying to me. It is, it is really painful. It is all the things you just described and and. I want to I want to give a disclaimer because we are the podcast where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I think when we set out to do this podcast, we wanted to talk about great writing. We made a point to say we're not going to be the how does this, how did this get made podcast where we just right. There's so many of those all, with people yeah. that are that are funnier than us or have found way funnier movies or whatever. So we're not going to do that. I think part of this for me is that this could have been really cool. Like this has yes. uh, he yes. builds a cool world. There are interesting ideas here, and he just fucking refuses to do anything. Like, he comes so close to saying anything about anything. Okay, like, the fact that there's this entire, uh, like, unlimited technological VR world, and everyone in it is obsessed with living through someone else's nostalgia of the 80s. Okay? Yeah. The idea of, like... In the 80s, with limited technology, we imagined this shiny, unlimited technology future. And then when we arrive at the shiny, unlimited technology future, we use that technology to exclusively relive a fantasized version of the 80s. That's really interesting. Like, you could go somewhere really interesting with, like, social commentary about, like, our relationship with nostalgia and media and pop culture and all that. He's just like... Yeah, but like, what if what if you had like the Ghostbusters car and Batman was in it at the same time? That'd be that'd be pretty crazy, huh? Like, that's the whole book. You're just like, all right. Like, the backdrop of this book is an Earth where like ecological, like all the issues that we're like quasi that are on like the periphery of our worry right now, like not our day to day worries, but like our macro level threats to our society and its its structure, like climate disaster. Uh, like huge economic destruction where like one, you know, 
10 people have all the money and everyone else lives in a giant trailer park. That's all come to pass in this society. And they literally just refuse to even look at it in the eyes. They're just like, yeah, we all live in one giant trailer park. And uh, if you go outside, you get skin cancer in 10 seconds. But bro, the Oasis, (laughs) you're just like, damn, dude, this is a, this is dystopian as fuck. And you're acting like it's tight. And it says a ton that Mark Zuckerberg read this book and watched this movie and was like, one, this is tight. I want to do this. And two, (laughs) I want to be the bad guy in this fucking book. Like, that's crazy, bro. I want to, completing my my monologue about just the the mission statement of our podcast, I guess I wanted to say that I personally did not go into this thinking that I was going to hate this book as much as I did. I had read the first, like, 30 pages of this book years ago. It was given to me for free on a tablet. And then I went back and reread it um, the last two weeks. Um, We don't want to make a habit out of picking bad stories and then ripping them apart because I don't think like as a writer, I don't want to get in the habit of just completely shit talking writers. I want this podcast to be, we talk about the technical elements, what works and maybe what doesn't work. But in general, we want to uplift writers. But I, I, after going through this, after reading more background about the writer, after talking to you about it, I feel like we kind of need to lay it all out there and talk about the fact that this is not a very good book and that there's a lot of problems with this. And it um, sucks from top to bottom, yeah. dude. Like it, yeah. and it annoys me so personally. I think because it touches on so many subcultures that, like, I do hold kind of near and dear. Like, I we've talked, you know, we've done episodes on like Star Wars, and like, I'm a big Star Wars guy. I'm a big Star Trek guy. I, you know, I'm in my home office right now. I have a whole uh, selection of Legos and Warhammer 40k figures next to me. Like all these kind of like geeky things that people have very deep subcultural relationships with i i find great enjoyment out of and to see them like commodified into this just like horrific piece of shit popcorn movie that i didn't even think i i mean i'll give spielberg his credit he did i think probably the best he could have with the source material they changed a lot for the film yeah because there's stuff in the movie or in the book that is i mean we'll get into it i'm sure but just like Dude, the main character – this is a yet another book where – it definitely is kind of like neckbeard fantasy where it's like – It is. Like the yeah. main character is a total piece of shit and yet like plot armor and – But the author doesn't and, realize that. The no, not at all. clearly does not realize that he's a piece of shit and that's the Dude, biggest problem the, with this the book. Fa- the fact that it's like he, he meets like you know Artemis, this girl, and they only know each other via game avatars. She's like, no, you wouldn't like me in real life. We only have a deep emotional relationship in this game. You wouldn't like me in real life. And he meets her, and she's like, uh, you know, uh, 12 pounds overweight and has like a, a birthmark on her face. And he's like, you know what? I'm such a You're good dude. You're still beautiful. I'm not yeah. even going to fucking – I'm not even going to fucking shun yeah, our entire multi-year yeah. relationship. I was like, dude, that sucks. Like, <laughs> like yeah. if you show up and it's a guy, <laughs> like, okay, all right. You're like – that changes the dynamic of your relationship to be like, wait a minute. You mean you're not a blue skin night elf with double D tits? Like this sucks. I can't, I can't handle this. Like that's, Oh, it's so, it sucks. It sucks. So bad. It's also, so bad. It, it, oh, we'll get into it. I'm sure I won't, okay. I won't blow before, everything. Before, oh yeah. Before we blow our casket, before we even get started, I did have to bring up his, the fact that like why I was so confident in saying that, the author does not see a problem with this protagonist. This is cl- this 
piece of shit protagonist is a author plugin. This is a this is like uh, he used himself in this role. One hundred percent. Can we we need to talk about this guy's poems? Have you read about his poems? I have seen like a thousand references to Ernest Klein's poetry, but I have not del- dug into that rabbit hole myself. So do tell. I'm I'm not going to read this entire poem, but there's a poem that's gone viral. He's written some poems. Um, it's called Nerd Porn Orator. Oh my god, I've heard about this. Okay, I haven't okay. read this poem, but I remember seeing this reference. This exact. I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going to skim parts of this. It says, and this is this is a spoken word poem, and there's videos of him reading this poem. God. Like he's dead ass serious about this. This is not not to get political. This isn't like a Bernie Sanders thing he wrote forty years ago and like is getting brought up. This is like something he sure. believes in, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Put it yeah. that way. Um. So nerd porn author. I've noticed that there doesn't seem to be any porno movies that are made for guys like me. All the porn I've come across was targeted at beer swilling sports bar dwelling alpha males, men who like women, stupid and submissive. Men who can only get it up for cock-hungry nymphos with gargantuan breasts and a three-word vocabulary. Uh, Collagen-injected liposuction women. So he goes on, and he eventually says, these aren't real women, these are objects. These movies aren't erotic, they're pathetic. He calls them vacuum-headed fuck bunnies. Don't turn me on, they disgust me. And then he goes on to say... uh, you can have the whole cheerleading squad. I want the girl with the tweed skirt and horn rim glasses, the valedictorian. Like he's basically described. He's an he is a um, a weeb. Like that's he's a hundred percent like a, and he's a he's a classic like. I'm not like the other guys. I'm a gentleman. I'm not like one of these jock, you know, assholes. Because no one that, like, plays sports or is conventionally attractive can be intelligent. Like, there aren't any good-looking guys that went to Harvard, right? And then on top of that, the just, like, inherent— And I'm just—I'm sorry if you're getting on my soapbox. I'm going to sound like a bleeding heart here. But just, like, the— the visceral sexism of like yes if you absolutely. if you fall into this box of like you're a hot girl that i that i that i basically anyone out of my league is a fucking idiot and an object which is so disgusting dude like yeah so disgusting <laughs> like that is oh he gives me the creeps dude and the and, and it, that it, just makes yeah. such a window into the person that wrote this story where it's just that that guy saving the world like a a trench coat fedora was saving the world with a katana like yeah it is so it's so gross the fact that he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that in saying that some women treat themselves as objects that he is like he's basically saying that yeah i'm not a sexist because i see the true value of women while he's also writing off a certain population of the women for how they look, which is inherently yeah. exactly what he's exactly what he hates says he hates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also like he is creating uh, what amounts to a fan fiction of women. Like, Oh, uh, the girl in the, in the tweed skirt with the hormone glasses, who's valedictorian. Like the idea he is, he is creating his own version of like the manic pixie dream girl. Who's going to like, you know, she, uh, that girl doesn't want to fuck the quarterback, right? She wants to fuck you. Cause you're so intelligent and have manners and have chivalry. And my, my guess is we, that we could, we could go through this guy's personal life and find a time where he uh, tried to hit on the girl in the tweed skirt. And she was like, no, you're kind of weird. And then he was like, you know, you're a fucking whore. You're just like the vacuum headed bimbo nymphos that rejected me. You bitch. Like that's how they it, all it's, are. It's like, disgusting. It's very, oh, gross. what an and asshole. It, I don't even feel bad about this anymore. Now. What a fucking asshole. I feel like it's, I, I want to point out there at the beginning of this, we talked about the, 
the film not being very good. The film is significantly better than the book. Agreed. The book 100% is, agreed. The book is... Okay, the film is an average... Depending on your taste, it's an average, slightly above average, slightly below average, summer flick that you see once and forget about. The book sure. is... I'm going to open up the hood a little bit here. When we talked about doing this for an episode, I read the first 10 pages and then put it down and could not get back into it. And then I reread it again, could not get back into it. It took me literally eight days to get through the first 40 pages because the first 40 pages are some of the worst 40 pages I've ever read to start a book. That is not like a high literary that's... Like I, I, I yeah, digging through the scarlet letter flowery. can be yeah. digging through the scarlet letter can be really tough for totally different yeah. reasons. This yeah. is just like outside of like the couple pieces of world building, which I'll give him credit for. He came up with an interesting concept, not a truly, I would say, original one. Like it's not. No, not at all. Like you basically just like, OK, cool. Sword Art Online, etc., etc., etc. The Matrix, etc. Dot hack um, sign, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a million of those. It's there's this is not a truly original concept, but like, uh, you, you had the edges of something interesting here, and but that is punctuated by five pages at a time of just exposition dump and pop culture barf, like just listing. It it is written the same way that episodes of The Big Bang Theory are, where it's like. All right, insert science here. You know what I mean? And it's just like generic science facts or statements that sound sciencey. And this is like that, but with 80s pop culture. And again, it's written in a way where I'm like, I'm not totally convinced you actually lived in the 80s or like the 80s. Like, they're like, this dude, he's the biggest 80s guy. His favorite song in the world was Video Killed the Radio Star. His favorite video ever was Take On Me. I was like, Dude, no one's favorite song is "Video Killed the Radio Star." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my parents lived. Although in the "Take 80s. On Me" Your is parents, a banger. "Take On Me" is a banger. Fine, I'll allow that. But just like everything is said in this tone, where you're just like, it's like an AI was just fed like all the episodes of "I Love the '80s" and just like spat out like. What, what's your favorite thing in the world? I love Pac-Man and Pinball Wizard. You know what I mean? You're just like, dude. I, I know all that stuff, and I wasn't there, so I feel like you didn't really experience those things if that's what you came away with as, like, your your real personal touchstones. Um, also, there's just a whole bunch of issues with this whole thing. Like, the, the all the puzzles in this book bother the shit they're out of so me. They're so fucking dumb, dude. Like, the so idea bad. that they're like, yeah, dude, uh, the entire fortune of this man, $500 billion, hangs in the balance. It's been, like, 10 years, and no one's figured out, like, literally puzzles that would take most people that are really good at video games probably a, maybe half an hour. Like, yeah, at max. I mean, you can go watch, uh, for anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff, there's a really, uh, like, the speedrunning community in video games has become very popular where people not only try to beat video games, but beat video games as fast as possible. And there's a really interesting live stream done for charity uh, every month called Games Done Quick, where they try to, in one sitting, one life, beat a video game as fast as humanly possible. And the faster they do it, the more people donate, and all that money goes to charity. It's really cool. Um, the stuff you'll see people pull off in video games in order to like figure out like Easter eggs or like how to like glitch through walls or like cut off ten seconds from their time in a given level. These puzzles are. This dude effectively wins five hundred billion dollars by like knowing some crossword puzzles and like yeah. memorizing the lines to some B tier movies. It's absurd. 
<laughs> like, oh, it's so bad, dude. It's so bad. And that's we got to go through it. We got to go through it so we can just yeah, like we kill go it, it line by line. Because there's, there's, I have a problem with every aspect of this fucking movie. So. Yeah, we could literally spend three hours ripping this part. I did want to. I'll take over this first part just because dude. it, yeah, it sets us up with an exposition dump about the world that they're living in, and it's taking place in the 2040s. The world's dealing with this energy crisis. And the There's bandwidth like the- riots, which is one of my favorite little throwaway lines. I was like, I was like, that is written by like a person who doesn't even understand how the internet works. Yeah, bandwidth is made up. For those of you who don't know, like bandwidth <laughs> is a made up concept. There's not a resource on bandwidth, okay? Like- they're trying to mine. It's like your, your phone company's like, look, dude, we just ran out of data. All right. We got the data <laughs> mines running over time, but there was a collapse yeah. and we, you know, those guys are stuck they're- down there. <laughs> there are a number of things in this novel where this author doesn't understand the thing. So he's, again, he's inserted himself in as this protagonist who's nerdy and very, he's like a hacker, but he doesn't know things like that. He doesn't understand what a multinational conglomerate is. He goes over that a ton. He doesn't know what a nonprofit organization is because he shits on that all the time. We're going to get into all that. Yeah. But anyways, 1940s, or sorry, 2040s, there's all these crises, pollution, global warming, overpopulation, there's wars. He even sets this line that they'll turn on the news to see what city disappeared under a mushroom cloud uh, that day. But then, and maybe he's just being, you know, facetious. But then they they don't give a shit about any of that, apparently, because all they do is plug into this VR all day. Which, again, we've talked about it. There's other Ishigai stories, like Dot Hack Sign, um, like Sword Art Online, that are a, a much more original story that also cover this aspect of you know, with its dot hack sign, it's this creator left something behind for people to discover. They get locked into the world, which is part of Ready Player Two, which we're not going to go over in this podcast. Sword Art Online has the same principle. So this is not a creative concept, right? Um, the idea that this world would be in this total state of chaos, but people are plugging in constantly and would have the ability to have this electricity and use all this power for this video game and the fact that he he he, was, he gets on his bike and he pedals for like 10 minutes and then powers up an entire play's worth of yeah gaming like there's so many problems with this world build that he sets out for like just the first five pages like this makes no sense even um, within the game itself like the the fundamental like makeup and construction of this video game world it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever so like they occupy a world where physical and digital have effectively melded into one where like people buy things in the digital world and they are delivered in the real world. We see that happen. We see people buy things in the real world and they're delivered digitally. Uh, People that have a bunch of money in the game are rich in real life. So like money in Oasis bucks or whatever they use translates over into the real world. And they, it's just incredibly powerful thing. However, his friend H builds vehicles in in the game which i don't know what that means i guess you just like are you can code in any game like this like the ability to code and build would enable you to just like make anything and thereby everyone would just have max level gear and that would drive the value of everything down to zero so like this concept of like stuff being really expensive like without it just being like artificially hard to get makes no sense whatsoever like the mechanics of it are totally bizarre to me yeah it makes no sense yeah continue i have to while you're on that topic one more thing i was going to say related to that is one of the points that they drive home about this all the time is that this game oasis is two things he he keeps saying that it is free and it is open source 
And literally neither of those things are true. Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely not. It's proven time and time again to be run by one corporation. Yeah, it's proprietary and, hardware. It's a proprietary connection. All the software is run by a single corporation. In fact, a single, based on how it's like the contest is set up, a single human being can like throw the kill switch on this thing. So it is the definition of not open source. Um, and then it's clearly not free because throughout the entire novel, there's moments where he's like, I can't get off this world because I don't have enough money and I, I don't have real life money. Yeah. So I have to, I mean, the, the entire plot is they don't want this world to fall into the hands of this evil corporation. That's going to make it like EA sports where it's, you know, what do they call it? Microtransactions. But yeah. the entire book is filled with microtransactions. So it's, yep. it's like either the author doesn't understand what the word free means or the author doesn't, he's not like doing the enough editing to realize that he has thrown microtransactions all throughout the plot of this novel. So it's also it, it, the, it, it kills me. The, uh, the author has definitely done the classic, like, uh, you know, no offense to if any of our listeners are like heavy cryptocurrency bros, but this is very crypto bro heavy where it's like the system is corrupt. We need to take down the system. And once it's taken down, we'll set up a new system where I'm in charge. And it's basically the same system, except I'm the one with all the money and power. And that's like exactly like this book. He's like, this corporation's so fucking evil. I can't believe they'd have control over everyone. I desperately want to win this competition so that I can personally be in charge of the lives of everyone on the entire planet. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah, it's bad. Um, and one more thing. So in this, these first few pages, he's explaining all this stuff. And then he has what I would consider one of the only really good parts of the first maybe 50 pages of it which is when he gives this sort of um leaves this hook which is basically there's been all these shows cartoons articles about what happened next like after i discovered the first piece of the puzzle the first key and a lot of them get it wrong and i'm here to set the story straight and there's hints that this is you know this is taking place this narration is taking place 20 years later right because as he just described there's been all these other there's been all these pieces of media to describe what happened after he found the first piece so you can you can guess that there's at minimum been five to ten years gone by right so he's right. older he's more wise and then it jumps into some of the most like teenage immature narration shit that I've ever seen in any book I've ever read. Dog, so the, it's like, the, it's, it's not a 30-year-old. The point in this novel where you get to the, by the way, just so you know, God is made up like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. And by the way, <laughs> there's no Santa Claus and Easter Bunny either. I literally almost cringed so hard that my spine left my body, just like snapped out of it. It was, like everything about him is just like, it's like a computer took in every bad reddit post ever and created a human being out of it because it's like he's a douchebag he's like a low-key sexist who thinks he's a gentleman who treats real women the real way like you're supposed to he's it's just like every neckbeard fantasy like oh it sucks so bad he sucks so much as a as a protagonist and it's crazy to me that like you would create this giant power fantasy, which is what effectively this novel is, and this is what you come up with. Like you get to write a story where you are the coolest person in the world, and this is the person you create for yourself to be. Like that is so nuts. Like, and I want to I want to point something out. This is to me one of the biggest mistakes of the entire novel because it starts out with this description of how bad the world is, and this guy who's a little bit older that's like, "Hey, all this stuff happened. I'm going to tell you how it happened," and then it and then it goes back in time and 
to when he's 17 years old, right? That's a perfect time to say, you know, either I read my journal and this is what I wrote, boy, was I an angsty teenager, or yeah, this is what I thought the back then. Right, but sure. instead he spends the next 350 pages, again, narrating as a grown-up adult, but acting like a teenager and having these monologues about masturbation and Ugh, dude. bragging about stalking women. And it is just, it's so weird. And I want you, so... I want you to know that there is an entire podcast oh. called 372 pages. You'll never get back. And they have had a, over 160 episodes and every episode is just about how this book sucks. A different aspect of how this book sucks. They have done 160 episodes just about how ready player one is bad. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think this is like a somewhat widely held belief, but man, it is it's kind of crazy that this book got as huge as it did. I guess if you encounter this book when you are 17, it could be cool. And I distinctly remember being a child and and finding media that did things like this where it's like Batman fights the Power Rangers on top of a Gundam. Like that concept is like as a child, that's incredibly cool. Like yeah, Super crossovers. Smash Bros is like the best idea anyone had ever had ever. It's just that most of the time, like a teacher or your mom will be like, well, no, you can't just copy everyone else's stuff. Like that's, that's yeah. shitty. <laughs> this guy didn't have that. So he got to do yeah, it. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the other thing. So we just talked about how like the first 40 pages of this book are absolute ass. Um, Again, it sets up a world that doesn't make any sense if you really start thinking about it. It creates this character who's, again, we're not like SJWs on this podcast, but he's misogynist as fuck. Like, let's just call it what it is. He's a neckbeard, and the author clearly has no awareness that this guy's not cool. And that plays out through the entire story. The theme of this story, like, it never touches on this. We've talked about on this podcast characters, plot lines that are, like, problems and what it looks like to be a problem. And part of that is, does the author circle back around and talk about why that's a problem? And like, if you're going to have a character that's super racist, you should probably talk about how that guy gets what's coming to him. Kind of like to kill a mockingbird or something like there should be some level of retribution. But in this book, he gets completely rewarded for his behavior. Like by the yeah, end of it, he's talking girls, he's a total piece of shit. And like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's frankly bizarre. And this world is set up from the jump to reward one single person, and you kind of know from the jump that we are uh, in the presence of he, <laughs> the aforementioned he. Um, so there's this giant game, the Oasis. It's a super immersive VR. Every single person in the world pretty much plays it 24 by 7. They effectively live a digital existence that means more to them than their, their real-world IRL meat space persona. And... The creator of this whole world dies and leaves this will that's like, I am leaving my entire fortune, uh, mostly comprised of like a controlling stake in this game, to the person who achieves this Easter egg. That Easter egg is embodied in finding these three keys, best of luck. And it causes this just like, of course, like in a, in a world where like poverty is like the rule, like 90% of people live in abject poverty, the idea of coming into half a billion dollars or half a trillion dollars by uh, playing this game is super attractive. And so we are introduced to this cast of human called Gunters, which are egg hunters, and the egg is is the embodiment of the Easter egg. Um, And they're going out and looking for it. Um, On the other side is IOI, which is, I want to say it stands for like 
online industry or innovative online industries. They are like your classic just evil corporation who specializes in evil. Uh, that yeah. I, I cannot imagine this company like being allowed to exist. Like even even amongst actual evil companies, these guys stand out as being a like overtly evil which is usually the rule is you like hide behind a good mission statement these guys are like no we're we're here to fuck shit up for sure yeah um and they are trying to find the egg uh, as sam mentioned earlier to uh basically just ea sports the shit out of it make everything an ultimate team uh you have to unlock a loot box to have breakfast in the morning or your mom won't love you or something uh and so that is like the basis of this is we know we're going to be on this adventure structured around the this hunt for this egg and at the beginning of this, you're kind of like, okay, like these must, man, it's been like five or 10 years since this guy died. The entire world knows about this hunt. Everyone plays this game and the prize is not life-changing. It's world-changing. So these puzzles must be crazy hard, like, or super yeah. un- unfindable, like, oh man. And then we're introduced to the the puzzles and it is, they are basically like main missions in most games like these would be like the third mission in most video games like uh in the and again they changed these for the movie to make them a little more like nuanced they're still I super guess. easy in the movie but at least they play tie into a theme yeah they, they try and do it because in the book they don't tie into a theme at all in the book it's literally just like do you know the can you memorize this movie and there's multiple challenges that are literally just can you recite lines in a movie which is the fact that there is multiple like that shows no creativity at all by the author or by the characters in the story and it's, and it's not like uh it's not like we're not talking about like oh there's a riddle and the answer is a line from a movie we're talking right. about one of the challenges is he has to be matthew broderick from the movie war games and reenact the entire film like this two-hour movie, he has to know every single line, and that's it. Now, I will say that in the movie, it's super fucking weird that the ultimate theme is that Homeboy wanted to fuck his best friend's wife. That's, yeah, but at least it's something. But it's, it's it is theme. something. It they they had to they picked they wanted to like they didn't want to deviate too far from the book, so they wanted to go with a bad theme, which is closer to no theme than a good theme uh, sure. on the scale of themes. Uh, if zero is no theme and ten is good theme, bad theme is five. Uh, but still bizarre. And but yeah, in the book, it's literally just like a couple, like v- basically just video game themed or movie themed activities. In the meantime, he, we're introduced to kind of his cast of friends. And again, like you have this opportunity to explore the concept of like digital identity, how people choose to present themselves in a digital environment versus the real world, like. Oh, like even just baseline shit like around like, hey, you can really tell a lot about how someone views themselves based on how they present themselves in the digital world or like what strengths and weaknesses they perceive within themselves based upon the avatar they construct for themselves in this digital environment. None of that is done whatsoever. It's just like, yeah, dude, we're all hot. I have cool hair. It's sick. I drive the, the, the car from Back to the Future, except it has a Ghostbusters sticker on the side. It's lit. Like, And he spends p- literally pages talking about what you just described. It's such a waste. There's no, there is no economy of words in this novel. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And again, we're all leading up to, I, like, I don't know about you, but when I was going through it, I was kind of like, okay, he's going to win this contest, and he's going to effectively, like, 
give the game back to the players. Like everything is going to be free. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like part of the whole like promise of the digital world is in the real world, there are limited resources. Like everyone can't have a mansion because we don't have enough room, enough mansion builders, right. etc. But in the digital world, the promise is like you too could have this. Instead, like they have created a digital world just like Facebook kind of wants to now where it's like, no, wouldn't it be sick if you like worked at a digital subway for like seven twenty five digital dollars per hour and then you pay digital rent to a digital landlord? Wouldn't yeah. that be lit? Like you're like, no, yeah. no why would I what? Why would I want yeah. to do that? That's why do there awful. why does there have to be scarcity of resources in a digital world? Dude, and they're trying so hard to create this. Like people buying digital land for tens of thousands of dollars. I'm like, bro, they can click a button and make more of this. But uh, okay. So that's what we're kind of tracking through this whole thing is like the two forces at work are like this greedy corporation that wants to enact scarcity just like in the real world. And then Wade and his friends who, you know, want to become tight and like free everybody. They win this fucking award at the end, defeat the evil corporation they win the ownership of the Oasis and kind of don't do anything good at all. Like, we, like this gets more into Ready Player Two, but they actually become, like, pretty fucking evil and terrible, like, with, with their ownership of the whole thing and, like, kind of enslave people worse than the original game did. Like, it's insane that this is, again, like... I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a power fantasy for myself where I'm the coolest dude in the world and this is what I come up with. It is mind-bending to me. It's mind-bending. It's, yeah, it's very frustrating. And can we go over some of the the tasks that he has to accomplish? Yes, absolutely. So, in the first one, um, he goes to, um, like you you said this earlier, but he goes and he plays... He plays the what is the game called that he plays? Um, he has so he's Joust? playing. He's, he plays yes. Joust, right? Yes. So he has to go into. He's playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he meets up with Artemis, and they go. Uh, they end up having to play a game of Joust for the first key, the copper key. And he wins that. Which again, one of the things about these puzzles in the book is. Every single puzzle is solved by the protagonist off screen becoming an expert in those things. Oh, yeah. Joust? Oh, I'm good at that game. Yeah, I've Wins. played 10 billion hours of Joust. Yeah, and then his next challenge to get the, I guess, to get to the next clue or whatever is he has, like you said, he has to reenact war games as Matthew Broderick. And it's like, war games? Oh, I know that movie. I've watched it a billion times. And then he does it. And that's every single thing in this entire movie is just off screen becoming an expert and then doing it and that's yeah, it and, and, they, uh, and that sounds absurd but that's exactly what the novel is li- listen to like this is the second this is the second challenge they go to this planet the planet contains a copy of every video game ever made he plays a perfect game of pac-man so like again just like bringing absurd which, uh, is impo- which is like really hard to do, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, like ten people have done this ever. Yeah. He br- he brings this. There's a there's a. I wish I could find it. There's a great like diagram of kind of the like the per- like the perfect model of like masculinity to people like this, and it's the I'm I'm aloof all the time. I act like I don't care about anything, but I'm secretly competent at everything. So it's like this is exactly how this character is. He's like real chill and cool and like talks to girls, but 
he has played enough Pac-Man to knock out a perfect game on the first try, you would be a basement dwelling goblin to have to do to be able to do that. Just that task. And he does that with everything. He is like elite Mary Sue. I don't know what the male version of a yeah, Mary Sue is. is, but he is just like god tier Mary Sue. Like if this dude was in Star Wars, he would have just like stared at the Death Star and blown it up. Like it is that level of plot armor. So he plays this perfect game of Pac-Man. He gets this quarter as a prize. He takes this uh, quarter to another planet and has to play a text adventure game and then whistles the set, the, the 2600 hertz sound from the whistle that came in a Captain Crunch box and that unlocks the second gate and he gets the key. So all that is is a series of references. Like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, that doesn't really make sense as far as, like, if you were building a puzzle or a challenge or a defense. Yeah, they would, like, to tie keep... together, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't protect the key very well. It's just, like, three things that he knows. Like, if you're a, a nerd, you'll know this. Like, the 2600 hertz sound from the Captain Crunch box. That's a very famous hacker thing. It was the exact same. The tone that that whistle made was the same tone that uh, Southwestern Bell's telephone system used to make long distance calls and so hackers figured out they could blow that whistle into the phone and make free long distance calls in the 80s and so he's just basically being like he learned that fact and then was like yes he has to do that to to get the key and it's like dude yeah. you are putting one third of winning half a trillion dollars and controlling like half the world's population you are putting that on the same level as making a free long distance call in 1987 those are equal prizes because of what you've made the the requirements and it's also it's it's emblematic of the entire problem that i have with the way that they do the pop culture references because he makes his protagonist as being this expert hacker and then by showing it he does one of the most symbolic and famous and historically known hacker hacks right of all time, which is the Captain Crunch whistle, correct uh, decibels or not the decibels, but the you know, yeah, the, the blue box tone, yeah. And so it's like, okay, is this guy really a hacks hacker expert if he knows this pretty remedial knowledge? I guess we'll never know because that's like the only, <laughs> it's the only thing we see. So can we talk about right after a- that? Right, right after that, his friend Saito, uh, who is like the 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 Japanese character in this book. Uh, the Sixers, who are the evil corporation henchmen, they so he sneak calls in. the Sixers. By the way, oh, that's so great! I'm which shout out to to Spielberg for just nixing that in the movie. Yeah. They never say that in the film, but they sneak into uh, his boy's apartment and kill him. And everyone, like he, they throw him off the balcony. I think. Yeah. Yes. Okay. They throw him off the balcony and kill him. They ju- all they have to do to get away with that legitimate murder is to be like it was probably one of those japanese suicides you know and everyone's like oh yeah i forgot yeah the jap mm, the japanese do commit suicide a lot all right moving yep. on i was like yep. what kind of racist ass world is this like one that's not how the japanese commit ritual suicide like they're not big balcony jumpers that's not like a thing two like what <laughs> like if, if i yeah. if one of my friends fell off a balcony and i went to the place i was like what happened how how did sam die like well you know how the japanese are (laughs) i'd be like excuse me like (laughs) it's insane it's oh my god dude 
Oh my god! And then this this culminates in the ultimate like twelve year old fantasy, which is that like all the biggest monsters fight. So it's like Mecha Godzilla, a Gundam from Gundam Wing, like. I can't remember what the other monsters involved were. Uh, I'm sure I have them listed here in the notes somewhere. But that, like, ultimately, there's like this b- giant, like, five way fight. Did he turn into Ultraman? He turns into Ultraman. Yeah, it, it's literally just like every everything that any show would use as their like big final, you know, form of whatever. Like, that's what they're using to like. So they all have like a five way fight. Uh, Sorrento, who is the CEO of IOI, is using Mecha Godzilla. Uh, and uh, Parzival uses uh, a device that turns him into Ultraman, and with that power, he's able to kill Sorrento's avatar, which, again, like, it, it makes so little sense to me the CEO, the evil CEO of this Fortune 100 company is, like, even in the game. Like, he's sitting yeah. in the game. Like, he's got an avatar. He's playing. I'm like, bro, what? No, dude. He's an adult with a job. Like, yeah. and... They continuously kind of, like, push the fact that, like, because Sorrento doesn't know every episode of The Simpsons and all the other bullshit that Wade has devoted his life to, he's a fucking poser and, like, doesn't deserve to run the the Oasis. And I'm not saying that Sorrento should. He's clearly an asshole. But, like, the idea that Wade is more deserving of the responsibility of billions of people's lives because he's watched a shitload of star trek is so bizarre and that is the logic the book employs through the entire thing like they're just like no dude this fucking stuff shirt businessman dude he's too busy like fucking i don't know doing spreadsheets i guess adult shit i was watching all the simpsons (laughs) and that and that's what makes the ending so weird because when he finally does pass the, the last challenge, the last challenge, again, is just him reciting my, Monty Python, which, yeah, which, again, just when I first read that the, the that there are multiple challenges where all you do is recite lines from a show, that's just like a lack of creativity. I don't think either of those are good challenges, but one is okay. One, to be like, okay, he has to cite this obscure scene in star wars maybe he has to be the one like maybe you make it the scene where han shoots first and you have to decide if han really did shoot first yeah that'd be so much better you just wrote a way better scene than he has yeah and make make that the only make that the only thing in the entire movie that they have to reenact but the fact that two different critical junctures are like now recite this it's it's so stupid but then but anyways when he when he goes and he he meets the the final i guess after the final puzzle and he sees um when he sees like halliday's not ghost but you know his ai form or whatever and halliday in the book is he's he's just video game willy wonka is basically who he is through the entire book yeah he's just basically like yeah video games are kind of overrated you shouldn't follow what i do you should get out more and that's it. And it's and, and they say that as if that's like the theme of the story, when it's clearly not been the theme of the entire story. The theme of the entire story is that eighties shit is cool. Yeah. And again, like I hate to just like I'm I'm almost feeling like I'm sounding like a hipster and like that I love the eighties this much, but like the shit they chose is not the stuff that like a true if you were like the if you're the prime of your geek years, like you're eighteen to twenty five was like 82 to 87 this is not the shit you were obsessed with like pop music and tv shows that everyone in america watched and stuff like that is not like the deep 
like cultural touchstones of your childhood. Like, dude, this guy would have been like so need like neck deep in Dungeons and Dragons and like all kinds of like really obscure media that like we are unaware of even existing. And instead, it's like, yeah, the whole thing is like Monty Python quotes from Holy Grail, Star Trek, but Star Trek on the level of like beam me up, Scotty, and yeah, you know whatever just like stuff it is the most cursory knowledge of like the most popular stuff in the 80s agreed it's all stuff that you could read the wick like he they act like wade had to spend ten thousand hours on 40 different things to become the expert he is literally one person with an iphone and access to wikipedia could solve just about all this shit like very very easily and again like the idea that halliday is Halliday is portrayed as this like incredibly wise, like sees through all the bullshit type character, and he's handing control of effectively the lives and economic futures of half the population of the planet to a kind of a piece of shit child, Weeboo, in exchange for him like proving that he also watched war games with Matthew Broderick enough times. Like it's it's a bizarre again, it's it's ultimately this like power fantasy of a neckbeard, like like it is truly a situation where it's like, you know, while you were out at parties, I studied the blade. Like this is yeah. the this is the pop culture version where it's like, yeah, well, what if one day, um, in order to like rule the whole world, someone was like, hey, uh, how, how about some Magic the Gathering trivia questions? I I bet you'd feel dumb then, and I would I'd be the smart one in that situation. It's like, okay, like yeah, and and that's one of the things that the that the movie got so right when it redid everything because it made the story and it made all the puzzles and the clues to the puzzles about the internal struggles that Halliday was having about his relationship with his friend and how he felt about signing over the company. In fact, the last kind of puzzle after the last puzzle, there's like a, a bonus room that he doesn't know about where he has to like, he thinks he's out of the avatar. He thinks he's out of the Oasis and he has to like sign this, this document agreeing to, give over oasis rights and he's like i'm not going to do this and then the wall drops and it's like hey that was a test and you that passed, was the final right? test kind of like yeah. kind of like Willy wonka and, and that was so much better there's nothing like that in this book and the book no. it, you know in, in the movie it's about you know it's about listening to the undertones of these these personal journals or these recordings of holiday's life and and it's kind of cool in the movie he's the only one our main character wade is the only one that is Everybody's focused just on the 80s culture. He's focused on the 80s culture, but he also starts looking into what was Halliday's life like, and he tries to look for clues. And in fact, in one of the first instances, he hears them talking about, what if we just go back as fast as we can and then the first race? There's a race in the movie that doesn't happen in the book, but he just punches it in reverse and backs up, and then there's a secret tunnel. Now, I will say, in real life, a gamer nerd, as you you talked about, these like speed runs, somebody would have tried that day one. Oh, for sure. Just like, yeah, yeah. And, and just like, it doesn't take into account so many things about how gamers work. Like tons of high level gamers are also incredibly, they have incredible technical acumen. They have really good, solid code knowledge. And so like, they're going to be looking in the code base. They're going to be pulling the source code. They're going to be reading all that stuff. It's going to be like, Oh, Hey, look, there's a function for secret tunnel dot exe that gets triggered under certain conditions we need to figure out what conditions those are um but yeah the book is just like it really does feel like a boomer who knows very little about technology writing a technology-based story around media that they quasi experienced like i feel like 
he again, I, he doesn't strike me as someone that really knows this stuff, like or or cared that much or loved it that deeply. Like it, I do that. It does not come across as a love letter to the '80s to me. It comes across as like I know that this is a nostalgia like point that people that resonates with people, but it does not strike me as, as strike me as something that's like this means like so much to me. Um, going into and I know we're not we're not doing both books, but there is a sequel to this. And the sequel is uh, bizarre, dude. Like from the jump, the uh, as soon as he's owned the Oasis for like six weeks, uh, Halliday's AI ghost comes back and reveals to Wade that he has this other secret piece of technology that he didn't think the world was ready for. And it's basically like a brain chip that like makes it feel like everything is really real. Like it's total physical and mental immersion, everything immersion. And everyone except Wade is like, dude, that seems super fucking horrible and dangerous. Like everything we've ever seen, you know, in the matrix or anything like that shows us that's probably a bad idea. You know, people are already like incredibly physically dependent on this. Like the world outside is really shitty. Um, The girl Artemis in the, in the intervening years, she has like taken all the buildings uh, that were being used for slave labor by IOI and turned them into housing for the homeless and has, and this is again, uh, a book written by a, a man child. So she's eradicated all homelessness in the entire world in like six yeah. weeks, which like, but you know what? Like she's right. You know what I mean? Like if, if that's, if that could really work, you should do it. Like, obviously yeah. she's the good guy. And Wade's like, that's fucking lame. And then there's a great passage where he's going through all the, the, the total immersion VR thing is called ONI and he's going through all the ONI files and it's like all these different historical experiences where you can like be Alexander the Great and like experience his memories which sounds badass right and then he goes I don't know how they would do that but yeah that sounds sick oh yeah, yeah. it's it's all absurd we but, can finally figure out if that guy was his roommate or his lover right so okay so <laughs> speaking of he goes he gets to this point where he goes uh, I, I kept doing all the files one after another till I got to a series of files called uh, sex.m.f.oni, sex.f.f.oni, sex.m.m.oni, sex.nonbinary.oni. And I was oh. like, so he's doing like, it's, it's like you can experience sex from every fucking, you know, uh, perspective ever. And he goes, and I was like, Oh, and as I'm as I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, like he's he doesn't want to delve into that right now. But then he goes, I was still reeling from losing my virginity uh, to Artemis uh, a couple weeks before, and I I didn't feel emotionally prepared to <clears throat> to experience it again uh, in this video game. And I was like, dude, this guy is so fucking weird. Like his relationship with the concept of sex, with sexual relationships between men and women, like are so fucking jacked up in his head that like he cannot write any normal relationship even it's weird cannot even write a relationship that one has with themselves like a normal human being like he can't just be like oh yeah man i don't really want to do that right now you know what i mean or 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 just better yet just not have that like maybe halliday didn't leave him like weird sex files to mind fuck like that wasn't on the list but no that needed to be said so i mean yeah in the, in the first book he <laughs> he stalked a famous woman for weeks on end and yeah. then ended up befriending her and then saving the world with her and she was like i love you now and so yeah his his relationship with with 
how women view the world. I mean, as as the poem we read at the beginning of this shows, how he views women is very weird. And and obviously. like like we were mentioning, dude, like uh, I, I I think we mentioned it while we were reading the poem, but just so our, our listeners understand, that same poem, that disgustingly weird poem that Sam was reading at the beginning, is recreated almost word for word as a monologue by the main character of this book. Like he just stops, he stops for a minute, just like in the middle of an exposition dump to be like, by the way, I know you're all wondering uh, what my relationship with pornography is. (laughs) Let me break it down for you real quick. You're like, what the hell dude? I don't want to know any of that. Like also you're 17. So no, he's 30. Remember he's retelling. He's he's an actual adult being like, Hey, this is what it was like when I was 17. By the way, God's not <laughs> Women real. are like, objects. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. God's not real. He's like Santa Claus for grown-ups. I was like, dude, even I like it was funny. I was actually like thinking about that as right before we got on this podcast and I was like I, the idea of someone like I totally understand going through an angsty atheist phase. Like I did that when I was a stupid high school kid. And writing a character who's going through an ang- sure, an, an totally angsty fine. atheist age, but it, that's not what this is. But th- but to then write that same character at thirty years old, reflecting on that and being like, "Huh, sure glad I figured it all out so early. I was such a smart kid." You're like, "What the hell, dude? I've never met any adult like that. I've never met any real adult that wasn't like, at least." Unless they were, like, totally disconnected from, you know, like, zero social intelligence of any kind. Like, everyone I've ever met in real life would be like, yeah, I was cringy as shit in all my, like, ideas of the world when I was 16 years old. And this guy's like, uh, yeah, (laughs) I sure was tight. Like, (laughs) Can I say how much, as an aside, can I say how much it pisses me off that all the character names that they created in the Oasis, Parzival is is a lame name. It's a uh, terrible gamer tag. Yeah. And I hate that his best friend's name is H, but it's spelt A E C H. And they have an entire, like, two pages talking about how it's pronounced like the letter H. It's like, yeah, how else would I pronounce it? H A E C H. Artemis I would, is spelt with a three instead of an E. Dude, that whole elite speak era of, of internet where we were all like, Tehaxors. Oh, this is fucking cool, dude. Like, oh my god. I but mean, then the Japanese people have, like, the most stereotypical Japanese names. Of course. Also, like, you're telling me they're on the internet and they don't run into anyone whose name is, like, George W. Cush 9-11? Get the fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> All right? Like, I do not believe that for a second. Like, also, no one makes a joke about having sex with their mom. So this is clearly not the real internet. Like, I refuse to believe it. His given name is Wade Owen Watts, so his initials are WOW. You're telling me you're not going to work that in? I mean, you're a nerd, right? And your initials are WOW. You're not going to use that to make some pun about the game WOW or... Something. Anything. It's just like Parseville because it's cool. I was like, your gamer tag is just like a, I don't know, 18th century Russian Jewish peasant's name. Okay. Sick, (laughs) I guess. Like, I mean, I've... I've had cringy gamer tags and screen names on like forums and stuff before, but like, man, you really got to put time into this one, and this is what you came up with. That's very strange. So we go over uh, bad reviews and good reviews, and just see how much we hate them. Oh hell yeah! Do you want? It, are we doing for the book or for the movie? For the book. Okay. I was a little bit disappointed because I I saw earlier today that. Um, when you pull this book up on Google, like it has, you know, good reads and Google reviews and it's like 
4.5 out of 5. And that just, yeah. that's so disappointing. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I th- I here, Here's what I think it is, Andy. This is going to sound super pretentious. I'm not pretentious. If you listen to this podcast, you know how, how much I hate uber high literary, literary prose, stuff like that. Sure. I think there is a there's a niche for these fun stories that have a lot of holes for people that don't read a lot i think there are probably people who read this book that read one book every two years because it was recommended to them because it was like the hot thing to read and we've talked about this with other things we talked about this with the da vinci code and other kind of like huge novels i do think there's a niche for this book got some steam and then people read it and were like oh this isn't bad this is kind of entertaining well i think it's because you have a lot of people that don't read a whole lot of books in this category but that's just me maybe i'm wrong yeah i do want to i have a good one for you um i cheated this is from the movie but it's someone that gave the movie half a star a complete slap in the face to the book my father was left in tears from reading this book. It is a masterpiece. I thought the movie was good before finding out about the book. Then I realized how Hollywood this movie really is. What a shame, Spielberg. What? <laughs> Bro, what now? Your father <laughs> cried reading this book. What part? I want to know yeah, what part. I, I must know. I must know. <laughs> Dude, his dad, his dad found out that God wasn't real from reading this book. <laughs> a life, I he's, a, yeah. he's a lifelong Catholic priest, and had his faith shattered when he was like, he got to page thirty and was like, whoa, <laughs> bro. Also, just like, what do you mean? I realized how Hollywood this movie, like, dude, the book and the movie are both just like a collection of other characters like fighting. It's like a giant CGI scene of a movie. Like, what do you mean? Like. People like this film because it reminds them of Spielberg. If they had read the book, they would see Spielberg put his own style over storytelling of this one authentically. And in the process, we lost the heart and soul of the book that could have been conveyed by the directors who aren't resting on their laurels. In short, the asswipe ruined a perfect opportunity. Again, I would love to just talk to these people and be like, what themes, what factors of the story that you feel like the the heart and soul that are missing from the movie dude because i would the movie love to... again the movie is the like actually inserts theme it inserts stakes it inserts character agree inserts a backstory the book does none of that the book is literally just hey everybody's poor but i have a chance to become rich and if i know all the 80s trivia i can become rich <laughs> hey i became rich Don't. i earned the girl who i was stalking i, I got her be love like, because i was smarter about 80s trivia not to be like the most like leftist piece of shit about this but this book is literally just like everyone's poor and only one person gets to be rich but i'm the best <laughs> at capitalism and consuming so i won like I I ingested the most media, so now I'm the only rich person, and I'm going to keep it that way. Just like the worst human, the worst system, the worst story. And these people are like, I, "How could you rip the soul out of this masterpiece?" <laughs> like, what, dude? Like, I I still and we said this earlier, but speaking of money and capitalism, I cannot. I'm still laughing at the fact that they called this. You know they were they were praising Halliday for creating this open source and completely free to yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> hilarious. And the entire thing is about how everything costs money. 
I did love the line in the movie where they're having that board meeting and uh, Sorrento's like, we've done studies and you can uh, you can fill 80% of someone's field of view with advertisements before they have a seizure. I was like, dude, that is that is some awesome, like straight out of Zuckerberg's mouth type dialogue. I enjoyed that. Thank Hell you. Yeah. I, I liked that Hell one. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, dude. Like, I can't. The movie is utter stupidity, and the idea that it puts forth is simply harmful. The way the protagonist and his gang are lucky beyond reason kills all the fun. The way that okay, that's actually a good review. Like that's a correct realistic. Review. That's my yeah. yeah that's I, how I it's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to know because like when you see a one star review, it could be one star for like all the reasons we've just said, which I agree with. It could also be one sure. star because it's like they ripped the soul out of a masterpiece. Overrated movie, jam packed with nostalgic Easter eggs. Blah, blah, blah. Could have been a great movie. They flushed it out a little bit, but kind of difficult in two hours. I like to imagine there's a three-hour cut out there somewhere. Bro, (laughs) come on. What did you need? Like five more Back to the Future references? There needs to be a scene in this movie where they just sit down and watch uh, uh, Footloose in real time. Just the whole movie. And we just see the back of their heads while they're watching it. Plot is really good, but the girl character sucked. Four stars. (laughs) Solid review. Borderline masterpiece. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, this is like one of the best movies ever made. Also, it sucks. (laughs) Man, there's some one-star reviews on Goodreads that are literally like five pages long. And that's what I love. I love seeing these people that are avid readers going to war and being like, look, stop reading this. Yeah, I, you know, I will say I, I don't think I've ever met someone in real life that felt strongly about this movie in a, or a book in a positive direction. Like most people that I've met that are, but again, it's, I'm biased. I'm talking to people my age mostly, like read this book and we're like, yeah, it kind of sucks. Um, I would love to like interview. It'd be so great if we were, if we were like big enough to where we could like put out a call and get like a couple people that were like pl- ready player one book super fans and have them on the pod and interview them. Cause I'd love to pick their brain on like, Give me – I want your perspective. I'm not even being facetious. Like I really want to – because clearly we view it a certain way as this like incredibly shallow, like just giant fan service like cum shot. Give me how you approach this and what you took from it that made it meaningful to you sure. as a piece of I'm, media. Hey, I'm, I'm sure all, that exists. I am all ears. Yeah. I, sure. I would love to see – because there's a lot of booktubers I saw that thought this was pretty decent. And they were like, hey, this is – you know." eight out of 10 or whatever. And I'm like, why? Like Daniel green is a huge book YouTuber. Yeah. He's big. Uh, and, and he, I mean, granted he made the video like seven years ago, but he was like, I thought that's it was entertaining. I, it was a little bit wonder, cringy, like, but it was entertaining. If you're a kid, I could see enjoying this. Like if you're under the age of like, if you are 17, I could see this being enjoyable. But cause I mean, we all have our guilty pleasure. Like I read, almost unlimited uh what i refer to as like dad airport fiction like tom clancy and like gray man and like jack reacher i love all that shit and it's not good like they're not good books and yeah but they're they're fun for what they are and this can be that too um but it is weird when i find uh an adult that literally nothing is good about this movie almost nothing uh, totally ruins the book and ruins the storyline for the second book movie, which is all caps even better and should have been the movie they made instead. 
Well, Nathan, here's the thing. If they had made just Ready Player Two into a movie, that would, would be, be a pretty fucking confused. weird decision. <laughs> like, that yeah. would have made very little. They just do, like, a, a, a Star Wars. Uh, uh, they just do a, a Last Skywalker-type crawl, or it's like, Palpatine is back. Like, they're like, Wade won the Easter egg. You're like, who is like, Wade? Who's Wade? What is, the, yeah. what, is, what is the Easter egg? I, <laughs> like, I love this review. It just says, here's how I feel about the book and the author. And it's just three gifts of Erica Albright, in the end of her monologue on the social network where she's like, you're going to go through your life thinking girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want yes. you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It's because you're an asshole. That like, is that's so true. So perfect, dude. Oh my God. Like this, this somebody, might be the so, ultimate weeb movie for real. Somebody said that they hated this Mary, this 350 pages of Mary Sue self-replacement in this endless self wankery. I love that. Dude, I'm, I'm definitely going to listen to a couple episodes of that podcast where it's just these guys. Because I used to listen to this podcast called uh, The Big Mistake, and it was these two Australian guys that every day for a year they watched the same movie. So the first season they watched uh, Grown Ups 2 every day for a year. And then the second season they did We Are Your Friends, that really shitty Zac Efron EDM movie. And they watched that every day for a year. So I, I enjoy like watching someone slip into madness. And so the idea of like listening to like episode <laughs> That's one. That's demented. <laughs> the idea of like episode 150 of the How Much We Hate Ready Player One podcast sounds really fascinating to me. Like what are you yeah. dissecting at that? Like once you're at that deep, like what are you doing? You're just like I had another dream about Wade last night. <laughs> I killed him again. Like, But yeah, dude, this yeah. has a four. This has north of four stars on Goodreads. That's crazy to me. Crazy. Okay, what are the Again, five star I think it's, reviews? Say? I, I would I would envision that a lot of the five star reviews and so pretentious, I know. You can at me. Uh, I think can, a lot of the five star reviews are people that are, you're gonna see like less than ten reads on Goodreads. Like it's people this, who just like this, they don't read a like, lot and they're like, This and, is great. And people who like and this is again me the, I'm gonna echo your sentiment. I'm just being a pretentious asshole here, but like people that like TV and video games are like a personality to them. So this, like this person gave it five stars. Uh, this reached the gamer part of my heart and gave it a big piece of cake. Smiley face. Like someone who like self identifies as a gamer, not as an activity that they do, but like that's their personality and like what they represent as a human being. And like this yeah. movie, because see the movie had video games and I am video games. So this movie is for me and is therefore good is a bizarre take to me. And then I see ones that are like, I read this to my son. He really liked it. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> that, that's fine. Yeah. Like, about if, right. yeah well, that's then, weird that you read that to your son with all the, like the masturbation. Scenes yeah, I, I wonder but... if there's some editing that occurred there. Cause yeah, I mean, somebody I'm, said I, this. I read this AJ a... chicka, chicka, boom, boom. And that, you know, it's a little different than ready player one. <laughs> uh, Somebody said this, and I think this is a good way of putting it. I don't know how to... This is a one-star review on Goodreads. I don't know how else to describe it. It's 80s references are merely just name drops. Checkpoints and a train wreck of a story that seems to pride itself mostly on info dumps and lack of self-awareness, awkwardness. I'll be honest. I've never read a book where I visibly and physically cringe so many times while reading it. I just couldn't keep it in. It's awful stillness of dialogue after-the-fact tokenism masking as diversity while delivering commentary on internet anonymity. I can't say that word. Anonymity. The out-of-nowhere info dumps. The cardboard villain. It's a great point. We really talk about that. Absolutely. The manic pixie girl who loves the 
interest who's ugly because of her birthmark as you put yes yeah. absolutely uh but our hero is just so kind that he doesn't care about that at all um by the way whoever passed whatever passed for flirting between two of them slaughtered me on the spot his painfully awkward attempts to constantly hook up with her while she keeps it saying no and deflecting him again and again which we talked about with the stalker scenes um and he's like i don't care you could be a disgusting old guy you're still love my life that's weird um yeah it's just like a t- it's it's an awkward teenager that has no read on people that is mask that is total mary sue or whatever the male version of mary sue is and uh, it's very un- it's not self-aware and as we said earlier i think that this could have been a really f- comical sat- satirical piece that said a lot about society if there was an if there was an element kind of what we see with um the way that they structure um what is the wise man's fear what is the what is the prequel to that name of the wind what they do in that novel is they have a person telling a story and then they'll go into first person and they'll come out of it in third person right and so you'll have a few novels you'll have a few chapters scattered in where they'll be talking in third person and you get a glimpse of the author saying like now here's what i felt during the time boy was i being weird if you had this narrator above all right. this story that was like showing this story about how weird they were being and then talking about how creepy they were being this would have been a really funny story but instead yeah there's a total lack of awareness of the author that just makes this a really creepy read to be honest here i here i have to read you this review okay this is a five-star review from lisa first of all the storytelling in ready player one is spot on the book is riveting and i found myself thinking about this book when i was not reading it wondering what would happen next the three components of every great story are all here the protagonist's task is hard to do. It must be okay, easy that, to understand. X doubt. X yeah, doubt. Yeah, X right doubt. It must be easy to understand. Also, I would say it's it's really yeah. not. It's like incredibly no. convoluted and has no relation to itself. So like it's it's all just thrown together. And the last one is and a great deal must be involved in the ending. I don't even know what, what that sent that phrase means. Like, do they mean a deal like an arrangement? Do they mean like a whole bunch of stuff? Like, I, I would argue that like Lord of the Rings doesn't have a, any of those things and is awesome. Like it's it's very strange. Uh, then this is this is where it really gets me. I had to keep checking the publication date of this book because so many things mentioned in the book happened, just as the book predicted. For example, <laughs> people now regularly order food online from the convenience of their home and have it delivered on their doorstep. Bro, this book was published in 2011. Like, yeah. the idea that we were ordering food to our house, like... That that started happening in the 70s, dude. Yeah. Like, and for rich people, way before that. Like, in oh, the, yeah. you know, like, the, the, the concept that it's like, man, can you believe they, uh, they predicted <laughs> food delivery and Ready Player One? This book also touched on some really important topics. In Ready Player One, Wade is fighting... Not just for fortune, but for control over the Oasis. Whoever controls the Oasis controls information and what information other people can get. He states that the rival corporation, IOI, wants to charge users a monthly fee. This fee would therefore prohibit the poor from accessing the Oasis. 
<gasps> so you Wait, do not what? also like lady. No, it wouldn't like the IOI doesn't want poor people to not access the Oasis. They want money. Like this person did not even understand the basics of this book. Also, those are not important topics. The idea that like, this is like really important topics and it's like kind of, you know, like stuff that really impacts us, like how corporations want, want to keep poor people from playing video games. Like what dude? They spend the first 50 pages talking about how Wade is poor. And then she gets on Goodreads and says, wow, the fact that they want to keep, Poor people off of the Oasis is pretty telling. <laughs> Dog, it keeps going. I don't have all the answers, or any of them really, but this book raises really important questions. What would happen if Facebook decided to charge users a monthly fee? Would this price out the poor? What about Twitter, Instagram, YouTube? What about the permanent bans on Twitter? Where's the line between allowing people free speech and stopping speech that hurts people? Who decides who gets access and who, and who should decide who gets access? She just repeats that phrase twice. Bro, one, none of that second part about free speech or any of that is remotely touched by this piece of shit book. Two, you clearly do not even understand the business model of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like, this is like when you see those uh, videos of like Congress when like they have like the CEOs of like tech companies there and they're like, explain why there's gay porn on my iPhone. And you're just like, well, I don't want to be this guy, but like it's based on your search results, your honor, sir. Like this lady being like, dude, Facebook wants to charge a monthly fee so that poor people can't use it. It's like, no, they don't. What? No. Like that's you are the product. They want you using it as much as possible. So they can sell your what? Like, oh, my God, dude. This is so nuts. This is so nuts. I, I, every, every review that every five-star review i'm reading it 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 borders on there's two different kinds of five-star reviews there's the ones that i can't argue with and i feel like we need to say this because we are totally negative nancy's throughout this entire podcast episode there are five-star reviews that say listen i nerded out i loved all the references they were long-winded but i I was a kid i was a kid in the 80s this shit slapped to me because i was yeah i had a good time i can't tell somebody to not have a good time whether it's this or a movie that I didn't particularly enjoy, like sure. dude, if you liked it, slay. Like go go do your thing. Absolutely. Um, Take do, joy in, do, in all things for all I care. You know right, what I mean? As long as it's right. not like as long as it's not like I read Mein Kampf and boy, I have never felt more empowered. <laughs> like then yeah. I'm like, okay, well Yeah, but I get what you mean, for but sure. There there are some reviews on here that I'm as you've talked about that are just like Man, this plot says a lot about society. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Yeah, they just they just know that they can throw in that word. Like, you know, after reading this, I realized we really do live in a society. And this is exactly what I'm upset about. Is I this one person's like the setting is incredible. You know, this who would have thought about a world where they they're like in a video game? It's like, (laughs) what the hell? Are you kidding me, bro? The lady that just wrote that also at the bottom of her post, she has her 2022 reading schedule, and now I almost have to follow this lady and read her reviews. She's reading Animal Farm in January, which let me tell you, her analysis of that is going to be special. Uh, Lord of the Flies in February, in March, The Da Vinci Code. Bro, this chick is probably already in QAnon. She's already trying to dismantle the Catholic Church because of probably rows of reading the Vinci Code. Of Mice and Men, Memoirs of a Geisha, Little Woman, The Lovely Bones. In August, she's reading Charlotte's Web. 
<laughs> Dog, okay. you can read that in a day. <laughs> like I'm reading Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and yeah, exactly, dude. Like half of these books are like on the seventh grade reading list for like everyone's kid. I love this. This, this is my favorite. I'm I'm literally this, clicking follow on her because it's amazing. This that's, that's book incredible. is a great example as to you know. I have all the patience in the world for agents, for book marketing, for publishing. This book is a great example that deep down, you know, agents, publishers, they understand trends. They understand generally what readers like. But at the end of the day, nobody really knows what's going to happen. Nobody really knows what's going to sell, what's not. Because, dude, I this book breaks so many laws that every agent will tell you not to do. Every agent that's like, if you start with no banger lines and you just go into an info dump for 30 pages i'm not going to read it so that i honestly when i read this book one of my biggest takeaways was how did an agent be like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna represent this book let alone Agreed. it becoming a, a bestseller you know like how did it how did an agent pick this up how did a how did a publisher pick it up how did they have the i guess i'll i'll look at it from the bright side of things how do they have the foresight to be like this is gonna sell if we market yeah. it, it's going to sell. I, I personally could not have done that. So shouts out yeah, to the agent. Pro- props to them because it is, it is bizarre to read these. Like there's five-star reviews here that just say stuff like, I just kind of want to cry right now. I'll have a proper review at some point, but I got to let myself recover. Like I don't – dude, I don't get that. And it's like the most I, like – And I also see reviews that are – very much it feels like they feel in on the joke and that's why they like it like there's a bunch of reviews i keep seeing when i'm scrolling here that are like finally i got to put all my monty python and simpsons knowledge to good use (laughs) i'm a fellow hey fellow geeks i also am a geek and therefore this was for me you know what i mean they feel very pandered to and so maybe that's and i mean we've seen that in other properties right like movies that just are just so chock full of fan service and there is a population of people that are like they said the thing they said the thing you know what i mean like that's yeah but man dude like I will give him one thing. They got Will Wheaton to do the audiobook narration. Uh, he was Doctor Wesley Crusher on Star Trek: Next Generation, and uh, he he was he did a great job. Will did a great job. What do you rate this man? <sighs> man, it's tough. On one hand, I am like sickly entertained by how shitty this is. Like. Because a true zero for me would be like something that is like impossible for me to take any joy in hating. You know what I mean? Like this almost reaches kind of like birdemic levels of incompetence where I'm like, I'm going to give it some points. So I think, um, I think it's a three. Uh, I think ultimately if you're a kid, this could be enjoyable for you. Although again, if you're a kid, you're not going to understand any of these fucking references. So I guess it's more for like, if you're like a, like kind of, a literate old person <laughs> you're an illiterate person that lived through the 80s and you loved all this shit uh yeah this movie and book fucking suck ass and i hope this dude i hope ernest klein made all the money he's ever going to need for the rest of his life off of it because i cannot imagine ever reading anything by him again i'm gonna put it at a 3.9 um and the reason is because we talked about how we rate before and i've said that a you know anything above like a 6.1 is like under certain circumstances, I could recommend it even if I didn't love it. Right. A four to a six is kind of like, I'm not, I'm never going to recommend it, but 
I could see where somebody would like it. I can't really put that in that category. I'm going to put it slightly below that. I I truly like if this was not recommended, if this was not a bestseller, I would I would read it and be and we said this about the Da Vinci Code where if I if I picked up the book and I didn't know about it that I might you know put it back on the shelf and be like, "Oh, that was kind of entertaining." And you know, I probably wouldn't recommend it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't ever think about it again. I think this is a little worse than that. I think this is in the category where I would put it back on the shelf and say, man, that was bad. Um, and, I, and I've said this before. I It took me several times to get through the first 30 pages. Um, it does get a little bit better after that. But the fact that they, they give you this 30-page exposition that builds this world that is that he panders as being a different world and a unique world, but it's it's really just a version of dot hack sign that's not well thought out and that has plot holes and that he goes from there and goes on this again as he's told from the voice of a 30 year old talking about when he was 17 and he goes on this rant about religion that has no context for the the entire plot and then he goes into this adventure story which the adventure story there are parts of it that are good there are parts of it that we didn't really touch on about um how the ioi comes comes and looks for him and blows up his aunt's place like there's some there's some cool elements to that but all of his the tasks and the the puzzles he has to solve they're all extremely predictable and they're not they're not engaging tasks they're not they're just again info dumps it's like hey yep. say the lines for war games hey say the lines for monty, monty python. python these yep. aren't these aren't inventive ways of doing it we said earlier how cool would it be if there was a scene where they had to reenact star wars but he has to decide whether or not han shoots I'm first or, first. or yeah, something that'd be awesome something like that that because there's nothing in this entire story that integrates how much he knows about 80s pop culture with the solving of the puzzle like other than just regurgitating information right Correct. it's not you know it'd be like what if he goes up there and there's a part where he's supposed to sing millie vanilli at like a karaoke but it, instead of oh i know all the words to millie vanilli and he starts singing it what if he just lip sings and just mouths and it's like oh you solved the puzzle because you knew that they're lip singers right something like that to like show the audience that not only i know 80s pop culture other than just looking it up on wikipedia that i would love absolutely to see yeah dude if this guy had to sell weapons to iran to fund paramilitaries in South America against the wishes of Congress and in order to finally fulfill their funding requirements he allowed them to sell crack cocaine to inner city populations in the United States dude this shit would slap super fucking hard but he did not do that he went with uh, I want to read this real quick I just found this while we were looking this is from a one star review of the book and I think it is so perfectly put I, I this person really nailed it uh at its core, Ready Player One is a fairy tale, a treasure hunt, albeit one designed by an 80s-obsessed ultra-nerd whose entire life was steeped in nostalgia. Evidently, human creativity peaked with Zork and Legend. So Wade's hunt for Halliday's Easter egg is one long excuse for a constant, and I do mean constant, barrage of 80s references. Actually, scratch that. It's not so much referencing as it is name-dropping. 95% of it serves yep. no actual purpose aside from simply mentioning it. At first, the references reinforce the story, helping to create a framework that grounds the reader in the world that Klein created with the Oasis. But after the first chapter, 
these devolve into ceaseless, meaningless throwbacks. The novelty lasts all of 10 minutes until you realize that it's just an annoying form of telling, not showing. If the point is to reenact sections of D&D modules and 80s cult classics, then your readers are just getting third-hand retreads of things that aren't important to begin with. It's sort of like when your socially awkward friend resolutely recounts a super sweet TV show for you word for word, and all you can do is just sit there and wait until he's finished. Pay $20 for that experience, and you've gotten ready player one. That is just nailed it. Clean kill, pal. One shot, one kill on that one. Love it. Hell yeah. That's somebody we should be following on Goodreads. Bro, shout anyway. out to shout out to Rick, dude, who has 587 followers on Goodreads. He's out Big here. Big Dick Rick. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Wow, yeah. And and I promise we're not going to do this. We're not going to devolve into just like dunking because it, it is tempting to do this. I do not like it. Yeah, but I, I was but not it's looking not forward fun. to this episode. No. Honestly, no. I was not. I legitimately was like, man, this is not what I want to turn this podcast into. We need to do something really good next week to kind of palate cleanse because this was not what I wanted to do. Um, so we'll think of something. We'll come back with something great. Um, any closing thoughts on Ready Player One or this weird author? No, you know, I I think this is a uh I think this is a really perfect example of it's important to go back and revisit things because this was probably one of the most well-reviewed books of 2011 and it got a huge movie deal, it got Spielberg to direct, huge budget. This book was like like 94% on Google Book reviews. Like and I think that yet and yet every review and like YouTube think piece I see about it post the movie, like once people were kind of went back and revisited it with fresh eyes, it is almost universally lampooned from what I've seen. So I think it's it's a, a good use case for why um, media can be almost night and day different depending on when you view it in your life and what time you're viewing it. Like if it's the first time you see it and it's when you're 11, it might be very different the third time you view it when you're 30. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, if you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. Give us a rating. Um, unless you're the author of Ready Player One, you probably didn't like this episode very much. Bro, um, if you're Ernest Klein, we, you have an open invitation to come onto this podcast and defend this. I would be happy to engage. <laughs> no, honestly, yes, Absolutely open invitation and we will be i mean we're not we're this isn't shark tank we're not gonna roast anybody i would no, legitimately no love to hear, yeah that'd like, just be i would love to hear how this book like how this came to be and like etc but i would have questions I, I, I would as we and i truly mean this if i am missing the point if i if there's something went over my head that's going to make this go from a i said 3.9 if this makes if it's going to make it bump to a six for me let me know reach out to us on novel underscore discourse on twitter would legitimately love to hear pushback on this. Um, so, anyways, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. We'll hear you next time. Peace. Peace.